Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. Happy anniversary. Happy birthday to City Church. Woo! We have a great day for you. We got a great service. We did this last night. We're going to do this two more times after this service. We love it. Happy birthday. Happy anniversary. It is a joy. We have seen God do more in five years than we thought was possible in five decades. Uh, I was told that often Christians and pastors and churches, we tend to overestimate what God might do in one year, and we tend to underestimate what God might do in five or 10 years. And we are completely humbled. I was told by a mentor pastor, he said, you know what? Every pastor needs to be recalled to his same church every five years. And that makes sense, right? It's like, well, the church changes and the pastor changes and his family changes and the city changes. And let me just say, after on, or on our five-year anniversary, this is the easiest recall to this church I've ever felt. I'm as excited as ever to be a member of this church and to be your pastor. So thank you for this opportunity. It is a great joy. Uh, what I want to do is I want to just honor our launch team. So if you were part of the 70 that met us or the 30 that moved with us, stand up right now. Stand up proudly. There's not many of you left. There you are. There's a couple over here. There you go. There you go. You guys, guys, it's been, it's been five years. A lot of our launch team moved or they left or something happened. And then a lot of them, they're in leadership and we hired them. Spencer, we hired him. You know, it's like, Carrie, we hired her. Caleb, we hired him. But the, some of them are elders. A lot of them are community group leaders. A lot of them are key leaders, key volunteers. It's been exciting. Uh, we've got a great day planned for you guys. We're, gonna bat we're baptizing like 30 people this weekend. It's gonna be an incredible celebration. What I wanna do is I wanna just start by just reading a portion of scripture from 1 Chronicles 29. And this is a good question to ask. What do you do at mountaintops and milestone moments in your life and in your family? Because they're coming, hopefully. We can't live without them. We need moments to celebrate. What do you do at milestones and mountaintops? You look back and you say, I'm really grateful, and you look up and you give God credit. And so what I want to do is I want to read 1 Chronicles 29. This is King David, a man after God's own heart. He had a rough life. This is his final mountaintop. He's about to die. This is his final milestone. And he's about to pass off everything to his son, who's going to build a temple. But he takes a moment, here's what he says, and I think this is a great way for us to start our service, and then I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to dive into our first Corinthians series. Here's what he says. Therefore, David blessed the Lord. Now that's interesting. When God blesses you, you bless him back, but it's different. Why do you bless the Lord? You just say, Lord, I celebrate you publicly. Lord, I give you honor. Lord, I let everyone know this is about you, not about me. He says, therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all of the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our father forever and ever. Verse 11, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom. This is always about a kingdom. This is about God's kingdom, not any one individual church. He said this, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you. It's all grace. It's all a gift. That's how we understand anything that's happened to us and to our church. He says this, come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O God, and praise your glorious name. And how do we respond? Verse 14 is how we respond. This is what today's about, verse 14. Who am I, but who am I, and what is my people? In other words, we just wanna, we wanna move forward saying, God, we're hungry for more and we're humbled by everything that you've done. 
He says this, that we should be able to thus offer willingly, for all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. In other words, God, everything we give to you, you first gave to us. It's all grace. Let's take a moment, celebrate what God's done. Let's take a moment to honor him publicly, and then we're going to dive into 1 Corinthians 9. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to publicly honor you. And I want to say, who am I, and who is this church, and what is this church, Lord, that you would be so gracious to us in five years, that we'd be able to start a strategic partnership in Mumbai, that we'd be able to be a small part of planting nine churches in five years, that after today, we're going to be baptizing close to 300 people in the life of this church. Lord, we've seen dozens and dozens and dozens of community groups started all across our city. We've seen lives and legacies transformed. We've seen families restored. We've seen marriages reconciled. We've seen addictions broken. We've seen people moving from being self-centered to other-centered. We've seen people get a taste for mission. Lord, and we just want to say thank you. And we just want to ask for more grace, Lord. For your glory and our good, would you do, continue to do something great, even greater in the next five years? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, whether you're watching us online or you're in the lobby or you're in this room, turn to 1 Corinthians 9. If you're new with us, this is what we do. We walk through books of the Bible, usually in order, usually verse by verse and paragraph by paragraph and chapter by chapter. But if we were to do that, that would put us today in 1 Corinthians 7. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 9. The reason we're not going to 1 Corinthians 7 because I didn't think a sermon on singleness was the best sermon for our fifth anniversary. And everybody said amen. That's right, yeah. So we thought, let's not go there. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 9. In 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul, and I love the Apostle Paul. I've told you this before. There are three reasons to believe in Christianity. There's fulfilled prophecy, there's the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and there's the, there's the life of the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, God changed Paul's life. Paul was not always a Christian. No one's always a Christian. But Paul, Paul's life gets transformed. I think he comes to Christ sometime in his late 20s or early 30s. And he has this incredible worldwide ministry at that time missionary journeys. He's traveling. He's planting churches. He's pastoring people. He's making disciples. He's raising up other pastors to take over those works. And in 1 Corinthians 9, he gets about as personal as he can get. And here's what he's going to say. He's going to say, guys, here's what my whole life's about. And this is a great message. It's a great text on our anniversary. He said, my whole life, and this is what every Christian life should be about. He said, my whole life's about having a ministry in the local church and having a mission in the world. That there's two things that I love. I love my local church, and I love lost people. And you go, well, Paul, how, how do you do it? Paul, because we don't want to just have the theology of Paul. We want to have the lifestyle of Paul. All of us in here who would call ourselves Christians, and I know that's not everybody, especially not on a baptism Sunday. But, but, but all of us who would say, hey, we're believers, we would probably fill out the form just like Paul would. Who is Jesus? What is his mission? What do you believe about heaven and hell? What is the final judgment? We would fill it all out. The problem is our lives look completely different than Paul's. What's wrong with us? And so Paul basically, he's going to open up and say, guys, I'm going to tell you behind the scenes how I have a ministry in the church. How do I have so much influence in the church? How do I reach so many people in a local church? How do I make so many disciples? And then he's going to say, and I'm going to tell you how I have a mission in the world. I'm going to tell you. You want to know how to reach lost people? You want to know how people from far from God become close to you? I'll tell you. 
It's, not, it's simple. It's not easy. Here's what Paul's going to say. Here's the whole message. Here's the whole chapter. Here's the whole sermon in a sentence. Paul's going to say this. I voluntarily lay down my rights to reach more people for Jesus. That's it. Paul's going to, that's it. I, I voluntarily, I willingly, and I joyfully lay down my rights. It's like, well, here's the problem. We live in America where all people talk about is their rights. How many rights do you need? It's always about my rights. I have the right to spend my money any way I want. I have the right to do whatever I want to do in my free time. I have the right to do whatever I want to do with my body. I have the right to do whatever I want to do as long as I'm not hurting anyone else. I have the right to feel how I want to feel and say what I want to say. It's like, well, fine. That is not the heart of Christ, though. And that is not how a mature Christian thinks. And how do I know this? I know this because Paul's going to say, guys, this isn't my idea. I didn't come up with this. I didn't sit at my desk and think, what do I need to do to reach people? And I thought, you know what I need to do? I need to lay down my rights. And he goes, that's not what had to happen. He said, here's what happened, guys. There's somebody that did this for me. Can you think of anybody who might have laid down their rights to reach people? His name is Jesus Christ. If there was ever anyone who said, I don't need to leave heaven, his name is Jesus. If there's ever anyone who said, guys, listen, I don't need to become a man. I don't need to limit myself. Why would I do that? I don't need to go someplace where they're going to misunderstand, mistreat me, mock me, beat me, kill me, and it be by crucifixion. I don't need this. And you go, well, why'd you do it? He goes, because the, the ministry of Jesus is I lay down my rights. No one laid more rights down than him. Philippians 2, he emptied himself. That's what it means to lay down your rights. Well, Paul, or Paul why did Jesus do it? Because he wanted to reach me. And when you begin to realize that, when you begin to realize, that's what changes your life. This is not a sermon on do more, try harder, be better. This is a sermon, this is a text on realize what Christ has done for you. And then out of the overflow of that, that's what the power of the Holy Spirit does in your life. He says, I'm so, I've been so changed. Someone did this for me already. I'm overwhelmed with the desire to do it. So that's where we're going. We're going to look at verses 1 through 27. And we're going to try to go quickly. We got baptism at the end of the service. It's going to be a great, great Sunday. Um, what I want you to see here in verse 1, though, and we're going to get there in one second. Uh, if we look at verse 1 now, but basically what Paul's going to say is he's going to call out the Corinthian church for treating him so poorly. Now, and this is kind of a weird sermon to preach on, on our anniversary for this reason. I, I, I feel like you guys have been a great blessing to me and to our staff and to our other pastors. So as I read this, I'm going to read this and I'm going to have to make some comments and I'm going to have to say some things because the Bible says them, but I have not experienced this. Paul's going to talk about how, how they have been so stingy with Paul, how they have, been so, they have lacked in generosity toward Paul. He's going to have to call them out on this lovingly. And I can, I, I can say that I cannot relate to that, but I need to talk about this because the Bible addresses it, because it explains why Paul lays down his rights, and because I do think this is the experience of most pastors. Most pastors are not respected by the people in their church. And so what, what Paul is going to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, I want you to see the first phrase. He's going to ask three questions. Here's his first question. Am I not free? Here's what Paul's saying. Guys, I'm free. I'm a Roman citizen. I, I have a lot of responsibilities before God and before the government. But what you guys do is you treat me like I'm your slave. How many pastors feel that way? Right? Well, here's your, here's your parsonage. Why'd they give the pastor the parsonage? So they can watch him all the time. <laughs> so they always know where he is. 
so they can keep him busy. So they make sure his house isn't too big. Why do they put the pastor on stage so they can get a better shot at him? It's been said. <laughs> and so what, what happens is Paul says, guys, am I not free? And then look what he says. He goes, am I not an apostle? So guys, he says, guys, look, okay, if you can't respect me, could you respect the office? There's 12 of me. Ever. I write scripture. If you can't salute the man, could you try and salute the uniform? I'd like a little respect as an apostle. He says, haven't I seen Jesus Christ? I mean, that's fairly special. And then he goes on, he says, aren't you my workmanship in the Lord? So basically he's like, guys, look, I'm being faithful and I'm being fruitful. Have you had no benefit from my ministry? Is your life any different? Do you have more joy? Is your marriage doing better? Oh yeah, you're not going to hell anymore. Like, oh, you're being a strong disciple. Okay, oh, so all that's changed. And then I want you to see what Paul says in verse two. Here's what he says. He says, are you not my workmanship? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And then in, verse, in the next few verses, he's gonna give you three rights to lay down. And, and by the way, when it comes to telling you to lay down your rights, I can't tell you what rights you need to lay down. The Holy Spirit needs to speak that in your life. Paul didn't tell other people they had to do this. But, but when you're gonna reach people, if you're gonna reach your neighbors, if you're gonna reach your friends, if you're gonna reach your family, you're gonna have to decide, I'm gonna have to lay down some of my rights. I could claim certain things, but I'm not gonna do that. Let me show you the three things Paul does. First, here's what he says in verse three. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? So here's basically what he says. Guys, he says, you have paid me nothing. I have been a volunteer for years. We'll see in a moment he had to work another job. Guys, he's like, I ministered to you. I came to you. I planted this church. I pastored you, and you paid me nothing. He said, could I at least have gotten something to eat and drink? Could someone have got me Uber Eats? Could you have given me a Grubhub card? Could you have taken me to dinner once or twice? I'm not looking for some lavish salary. He's like, I need my basic needs met. How many pastors are poorly paid? Many. I was at an event a week or two ago for large churches in North Carolina, interesting event. Uh, I was with me with these pastors. Pastors telling a story about a guy who'd left his church to go be a part of a smaller church that was needy in his city. He said, the guy, he said, the guy comes to me, he says, I'm leaving the church, I'm not mad at you, I love you. He said, I was actually friends with the guy. He said, he's leaving to help this small church. He said, and I knew this guy made a lot of money. And I knew that he tithed. He said, and I knew that the guy, the pastor that he was going to, that pastor had confided, confided in me what the church pays him. And I don't even think that's a living wage. I don't know how he can raise a family off that. He said, so... I told the guy, I want you to go over there and I want you to tithe. And I want you to figure out how to get into leadership so that you can teach that church to respect that man and pay him a living wage. He's telling us this story in tears. And he said, I got good news, they did it. But Paul says, guys, listen, guys, I didn't, I didn't receive a salary. I, I had to work a second job. The second thing he says, look here, he says, I laid that right down, right? And, and every Christian's gonna have to decide. You're gonna have to decide to some extent. It's going to cost me financially at some level to follow Christ. I'm gonna have to lay some of that down and live differently than other people. Here's the second thing he says, verse five. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? Can I get married? That's what he's saying. Look, 
or as do the other apostles. So the other apostles got to get married. And the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, now Cephas is Peter. Now this is interesting because the, the Catholic church says priests can't get married. But the Catholic church also says Peter was the first pope. Peter was married. <laughs> Unbelievable. So basically, it's like, it's like what? So basically, here's what he's saying. He's saying, um, he's saying guys, look, I, and this is another thing that this happens all the time if you're going to really follow Christ. He goes, guys, I can't live a normal life anymore. I could. I'm not saying the Bible says I can't. I'm voluntarily giving up some things. So there's a part of the world called the stands. That's what the missionaries often call them. Afghanistan, Pakistan, Uzbekistan, all these stands. And a lot of times when they send you to certain parts of the stands, they won't send people who are married. They only will send single people because it's just too dangerous. And so oftentimes, part of the story of missionaries is people sometimes saying, okay, that's it. I'm gonna voluntarily not get married. It's like, well, that's a big part of life. The older you get, you realize marriage, kids, grandkids, it's like two-thirds of your life. It's a massive fabric of your life. And Paul says, it's okay. I could get married. But I'm going to lay that down. And that's so to different extents, guys, you're going to have to figure out, I can't live a normal life. I can't live like every other American. I can't live like everybody else who's a doctor. I can't live like everybody else who's a lawyer. I have to live a little bit differently. I don't have to talk about it. I don't have to make everyone else do it. But I voluntarily lay down my rights. And then Paul says this. In verse 6, or is it only Barnabas? So Barnabas is his right-hand man. Comes with him everywhere. He says, is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So he's kind of getting back to the other thing. He goes, guys, you made me work another job. So if you know the apostle Paul, it's like he gave his whole life. He's writing scripture. He's preaching. He's planting. He's counseling. He's leading. He's architecting. He's visioneering. He's traveling. And he has to work another job. Unbelievable. It's heartbreaking. He was a tent maker. He didn't make a lot of money. I don't know how he did it. So he's preaching and he's pastoring and he's dealing with heretics. And then he goes, he works some other blue collar job because no one will pay him. Do you know that 38% of the churches in America have no full-time pastor? So that's basically 40%, almost half. When you drive around Winston-Salem and you see a church building, you need to know that one out of every two times you look at a church building, you go, nobody's full-time thinking about that church. And a lot of pastors are bivocational and they hate it. Now, there are a few who love it and it's missional and I get all that too and why they would do that. Most pastors would love to give the time. I'm, being, I'm not trying to make this all about me, but I don't know how I would do something else and do this. Now, every once in a while, probably once or twice a year, somebody says to one of the staff or something, what does Kyle do all week? <laughs> I mean, he only works on Sundays, right? I mean, and my answer to that is always, and an Olympic athlete only works once every four years. <laughs> no, but there's obviously, there's a lot that goes into this, but this is only half my job. Half my job is only the preparation and proclamation. Leading staff, leading elders, leading volunteers, visioneering, counseling, praying, teaching in other environments. I don't know how somebody does that part-time or while they're trying to do something else. This is why so many churches can never get off the ground because it takes at least one, often two or three people who, a small amount, but who are set aside to do the work of the ministry. Paul goes, guys, I didn't do that. Here's what he says. He goes, let me give you some illustrations. Paul goes, I know you guys, some of you still don't get it, Paul's saying. He says, so let me give you a couple examples. He goes, let me, because we don't get things often in the spiritual world or in the church that we get everywhere else. 
So Paul goes, let me give you a couple examples. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? So he goes, he goes, guys, could you imagine a soldier that shows up and says, I'm ready, and they go, okay, your uniform will be $200. Okay, I'm ready to be deployed. Great, your plane ticket will be 1,000. It's like, what? Okay, when you get over there, you're gonna, we're gonna, you're gonna be over there, you're gonna be fighting this war, it's gonna be awesome, you're, God's gonna use you, um, but it's gonna be $1,000 a month rent while you get over there. You're like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm giving my entire life to this. I'm in the military. So we all understand the military provides. The rest of the nation provides so that they can do that. Then Paul says, okay, okay, maybe you don't get that one. So then he says this. Okay, let me give you another example. Who plants a vineyard? So imagine a guy who's got a fruitful farm. And you know, there's fruit growing, and, and, and he says, and it, without eating any of its fruit. Or who tends a flock without getting some milk? So he goes, could you imagine a guy that's got a great farm and he's starving? Everyone goes, something's wrong. He's got a great farm, but he goes everywhere else to buy his food. Why don't you? You're the one who spends all the time working on that farm. You, you don't need everything, but you should have enough for you and your family if you guys are working on that farm. That's all Paul's saying. And then he says this. Guys, I, I didn't want to do this. I'm going to pull out some Bible verses. So he says this. Do I, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. It is, it, is it for oxen that God is concerned? So basically, it, you need to take care of the ox. If you don't take care of the ox, it hinders everything you're doing. He says this, does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in a crop. Paul basically says, or it's interesting, some commentators, they go, is Paul using a verse out of context? Is he using a verse that was meant for oxen and applying it to pastors? No, oxen can't read. <laughs> this verse is for us. This verse is for us. And then he says this, and, th and this is really, guys, this is the story of Two Cities Church, really. The, the story of generosity in Two Cities Church is in verse 11. He says this, if we have sown spiritual things, so I teach you, I love you, I pray for you, I counsel you, I help you, I disciple you, that's what Paul says, spiritual things. I make a massive spiritual investment in people. Is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Um, here, here's what I mean. This is the story of Two Cities Church is we have never worried about material things. I'm not saying we're special. I'm not saying we're unique. We have always said we're going to do quality ministry to people. I think the reason that that launch, so we were self, we had, we had 100 people on our launch team. We were a self-sustaining church. Everything was paid for with that launch team, including two and a half full-time staff, including our first building that we had, including all that we needed to do to do ministry. It was all with those, because one, those people said, we're going to be all in with our time, talent, treasure. But we didn't have some massive strategy. Basically, what we had been told is you focus on loving and ministering and teaching and praying for and imparting in your launch team and everything else will take care of itself. Because this is how it's supposed to work. You're supposed to be, as Christians, all of us, we're supposed to be uh, ministered to and it changes our lives. And we're like, this is amazing. I would like, it's basically what you would say, I would like to invest in this. I would like to invest in this because it's changing my life and I, I'd like it to change more people's lives. Give, give you an example. Some of you are familiar with Young Life. Young Life is a ministry that reaches middle schoolers and high schoolers. They go after the, the most lost kids in high schools. And a couple different times I've gotten to go to a Young Life camp. And if you've ever been to a Young Life camp, you're like, one of my thoughts is, who paid for all this? You get there and there's amazing cabins and there's amazing food. 
and there's amazing pieces of property in very nice locations, and I finally got it. I get it. Young Life has spent the last 50 years reaching high schoolers. And a lot of these high schoolers, they didn't know Christ, and their parents were like heartbroken over them. This is the story of Young Life. And they reach these kids, and then these really wealthy businessmen and women go, thank you. You've touched my family. You've changed my kid's life. Here's a couple hundred thousand dollars. And it just happens again and again and again and again. That's the way it's supposed to work. You're changing my life. I'm ministered to and loved by this church or this ministry. And so it's a natural overflow for me to give generously to this. So that's Paul says, guys, that's how it works. But Paul says, look, I'm not going to talk about this at length. Look at verse 12. Nevertheless, nevertheless, we've not made use of this right. I've never quoted these verses till now. I've never given you this illustration till now. I've never even told you. Some of you didn't even know I didn't make a living. Some of you had no idea I was working and doing tents. I didn't tell you till now. He says, why? We've not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So, if you've ever heard us say the verse, or the, not the verse, the, the plumb line, the gospel is offensive, nothing else should be. That's from this verse. Uh, it arises right out of scripture. Basically, it says this, that if you're offended by the gospel, that's on you. If you're offended by the message of Jesus Christ crucified for sinners and your need to repent, if you're offended by that message, that's on you. I can't do anything about that. That's the message. I'm just the mailman. I don't write the mail, Right? Um, but if you're offended by something I'm doing that I could stop doing that I know about, then that's on me. And when it comes to money, Paul goes, people get weird about money, right? Some of you get weird about money, right? There's normal you, and then there's you when we talk about money, <laughs> right? Some of you don't like to make eye contact with me when we talk about money, right? Because some of you, because when I'm talking about money, I'm talking about your God. I, like, in the same way that I wouldn't want somebody talking about Jesus Christ in inappropriate ways, because I'd be like, oh, he's attacking my God. So what Paul says, and I understand this, Paul basically says, guys, I don't want to talk about money because people get weird about money. And I don't want to talk about money because a lot of people have had bad experiences uh, with religious people and money. You can think about TV evangelists. You can think about prosperity preachers. You can think about, you know, a lot of times people think, well, what all that this church wants to do or all this pastor wants to do or all this evangelist wants to do is separate me from my money. He wants to manipulate my emotions. He wants to da 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 all these things. So Paul says, guys, okay, I'm not going to do that. Also, people think sometimes uh, that the church has mismanaged money, right? So it's like, oh gosh, you know, the, the pastor gets up and he goes, okay, we need to do the Lord's work. So what we're going to do is we're going to build a $4 million bell tower. Everyone's like, that doesn't sound like the Lord's work. That doesn't sound like a good stewardship of money. So Paul goes, I don't want to get weird about any of this stuff. And so what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm not going to talk about it. But here, here's the problem. The problem is that Paul has to talk about money because you really can't disciple people if you don't talk about money. Again, before I came here, a, a pastor told me, he said, never be ashamed of talking about money when it arrives out of scripture. Because you can't disciple people if you don't talk about sexual sin. He said, because everyone's struggling at various levels with sexual sin. He said, uh, but you, in the same way, you can't disciple people if you don't talk about money because most people are more enslaved to consumerism and materialism but they don't feel nearly as guilty about it as they do about the sexual sin struggles that they have. And so Paul says, I've got to talk about this. Also, money is not the only thing, but money is one of the things that fuels and funds ministry. So does prayer. There's lots of things that can fuel and fund ministry, but one of them is money. 
So Paul says, guys, I don't want to talk about this because part of the history of the church is people wrongly talking about money. So here, here's an interesting, uh, if, you, if you may not have heard this before, but you know, you know the story about the widow giving the last two mites? You know that story. It's in Luke 21. Uh, Jesus tells a story about a widow giving the last two mites that she had. And most people read that story and go, oh, what a picture of generosity. What? She gave all that she had, so she had nothing left. Well, if you read in the context, Jesus says at the end of chapter 20, right before we get to chapter 21, he's, he is confronting Pharisees and religious leaders who devour widows' houses. So most people do not understand that historically as a, as a passage on being generous, but on a passage of the type of leadership that would allow a widow to give the last thing that she had. It's like shame on those Pharisees. They have a responsibility. They should not be asking for the last two mites that a widow has and should not let her give that. So Paul says, guys, I can't talk about money like that. I don't want it to become a stumbling block. Here's what he says. If you look next, he says this. Um, Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple, this is verse 12, temple service, get their food from the temple. So now he's talking about the Levitical priesthood. He has so many arguments for this. And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But then Paul says again, verse 15, I've made no use, but I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing to secure any such provision. This is not a support letter. I'm not writing this to create reverse psychology so you feel bad, so you start giving. Paul says, that's not what I'm doing. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground of boasting. For if I preach the gospel, verse 16, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul had an overwhelming passion to preach the gospel. Paul's like, guys, I would do this for free. I have done this for free. I should get paid to do this, but I'll do it anyway. And I know what Paul's talking about. I mean, I feel such a passion when I have a message to preach. If this building would have burned down this morning, I would have to go somewhere else and preach this message. I mean, my current plan is to preach my own funeral and then to crawl into the casket. That's, a, that's, that's, a, that's my current plan. And it's, it's, it's a love for teaching and preaching. That's what Paul's saying. I have such a heart for this. I do this because I love God. I do this because I love people. He says this, for if I do this of my own will, I have a, uh, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I will be entrusted with a stewardship. I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge. So as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. And then in verse 19, Paul transitions from talking about how he ministers to the church to how he ministers in the world, to how he ministers to the local church, to how he ministers to the lost. Look at verse 19. He says this, for though I am free from all, Paul wants you to know one more time, just so you know, I'm free. Uh, Though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. And so what Paul's going to do here, and I want you to see this, we're going to get to verses 20 to 23 in just a moment here. Uh, Paul's going to talk about his passion to reach all types of people. So he says, guys, I'm free, but I'm going to make myself a servant to all because I want to reach all different types of people. We believe that the gospel is for every person in every place. And so what Paul's going to talk about in verses 20 to 23, and I'm going to inter- I want to introduce it here, and then we'll look at it, is something that Christians have always called incarnational ministry. So how do you reach people who are far from God, and how do they become close to you? Paul's answer is incarnational ministry. What is incarn- so, so at Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation. What does that mean? In carne, flesh, meat, in meat. That's what it means. So basically it means when Jesus Christ came into the world as a baby. Now think about the incarnation. Jesus did not just become a human. 
He, become a, he became a male. He became a Jew. He became a carpenter. He incarnated himself into a specific culture at a specific time with a specific family in a specific place. And what Paul's going to talk about here, and I'm going to read this passage for you. Paul's going to say, I do two things at the same time. I live in this tension as I minister to people. And let me just call, you know, give you the language for it, and then we'll look at it. He said, I'm theologically fixed, and I'm culturally flexible. And that's been the secret to two cities. We have just decided that that's what we're going to be. We're going to be theologically fixed. We're never changing what we believe. We, we are very conservative in our theology. I mean, we believe what Christians have always believed. We believe in heaven and hell. Jesus is the only way to God. The Bible is the inerrant word. The we're heading toward a final judgment. Heaven and hell are the only two options. Jesus is the only way. Repentance is the call to every person. I mean, we are, that's never, ever changing. We take that belief system with us everywhere. But we're culturally flexible. Dress is not a big deal. Style is not a big deal to us. What I want you to see here in verses 20 to 23 is how Paul talks. Look at this. Verse 20, he says this. To the Jews, that's the religious people. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. It's interesting. Paul no longer considers himself a Jew anymore. To the Jews, I had to become as a Jew. I'm not a Jew anymore, ultimately. Christ has changed my life. So you'd almost have to say, to the Americans, I became as an American. Because Christ has so changed me. That's not primarily, I, sorry, I don't think about myself primarily as an American. I'm a Christian who happens to be an American. That's what he's saying. I, I became as a Jew. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. Why? In order to win the Jews. I want to see people come to Christ. To those under the law, as one under the law, that's also the Jews. But then look at the parentheses here. Paul's like, guys, I know my theology so well. Don't think I'm compromising. I'm not compromising and I'm not trying to be cool. He says this though not being myself under the law. I get it, guys. I get I don't need to, to follow the kosher rules anymore, but I'll do it because I'll lay down that right. I love bacon. <laughs> but I'm willing to temporarily give it up. He says this, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, so every non-Jew, every Greek, every Gentile. He says, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Then he wants to tell you again, guys, I know my theology though. Look what he puts in the parentheses not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. I, I get it, guys. I know who I am, and I know what I believe when I walk into these different environments. And he says this, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. Paul is theologically fixed, but he's culturally flexible. Or here's another way to say it. He's always both contending for the faith and contextualizing it to different groups of people. So he's contending for it. He's like, guys, I believe it. I'm gonna contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. That's literally a Bible verse I just quoted you. But then I'm gonna contextualize it. So he says, okay, guys, when I go to the Jews, I act like a Jew. I do everything short of sin to become like those I wanna save. That's what he's saying. Let me give it to you as simply as I know how to do it. Paul, Paul is saying this. I become like those I want to save. Can you think of anybody else who did that? Can you think of anybody else who became like, the answer is usually Jesus when I ask these questions. Okay. <laughs> right, Jesus. Okay, I need to save humans. What do I need to do? I need to become a human. I get it. Oh, this is a, this is a brilliant idea. 
It's from heaven that we have to, short of sin, we become like those we want to save. So Paul says, okay, here's to the Jews. So here's, here's what we'd say today. It's like, okay, you want to go reach, you know, you talk to a young pastor and he's going to go into some, you know, religiously lost church. Some church, they don't, most people don't know Christ. They, they've been converted to church culture. They've not been converted to Christianity. Okay, this is a lot of churches. And so you might say to that guy, listen, go on in there. And th that pastor may say something like this, I'll wear the suit. Now I know I don't need to wear a suit, but I don't want to be a selling block. The pastor may say, I'll preach out of the KJV. It's not the best translation, but I'll do it because I don't want to be a stumbling block. I actually know that the, you know, the ESV and other are more essentially literal translations. That's okay. I'm not, that's, he might even say this. I'll go to their potlucks. I'll do it. All their, all their goofy programs and extra events, I'll do them. Because I don't want to be a stumbling block. I just want to be able to have the freedom to get there, to love them, to teach them and preach them the gospel. We're going to believe that over time, all of those other things are going to take care of themselves. That's what Paul's saying. Paul says, guys, in the things that Paul would do, guys, he shaved his head two different times, took a Nazarite vow. They, 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 <laughs> poor Timothy. Timothy gets circumcised late in life. I mean, talk about, talk about contextualization. <laughs> Timothy's like, can we pray about this? Um, <laughs> but they, they basically said, look, we don't wanna, we're going to try to reach Jews, and we're going to try to reach Gentiles. The Gentiles won't care, but the Jews will care. So if you'll do this, we, and, he would say, and Paul would say, you don't have to do this to be saved. We want to do this so that nothing gets put in the way. This is why in Acts chapter 18, when Paul goes and he preaches to all of these non-Christians and their non-Jews, he doesn't quote the Old Testament, though he knows it's the ultimate authority. He quotes their philosophers. This is why when I spent time at Duke, I quoted a lot of the Bible, but before I quoted the Bible, I quoted the Atlantic. And I quoted the New York Times. And I quoted comedians, and I quoted celebrities. Why? Because it's their prophets. It's their truth-tellers. And so Paul says, guys, I do all of this. And then he gives us one last thing. Here's what he says. If you look at me in verse uh, 26, or sorry, 24, he says this. He gets real personal. He tells you what goes on behind the scenes for him to do this. He says this. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run? So he talks about this a lot because in Corinth, there was the Olympics. And so he, he, he knows that they've got this imagery. He says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So he's giving you this illustration, and then he says, so you've got two options. Option one is verse 26, and option two is verse 27. Uh, I'll read the, the first option. This is where most Americans, and even sadly, most Christians in America are. Here's what he says. I do not run aimlessly, and I do not box as one beating the air. That most Christians in America, and certainly most Americans, they do two things. They run aimlessly, and they box beating the air. What does that mean? What does it mean to run aimlessly? I don't know what I'm doing with my life. How many Americans, and especially how many people under 40, that's the story of their life? It's like, you just look at someone, you go, you're aimless and you're anxious. Some of you are aimless and anxious. Relationship to relationship. Career to career, school to school, city to city, belief system to belief system. You're aimless and you're anxious. And Paul says, that's no way to live your life. And then he says, and then there's that. He says, I don't beat as one boxing the air. He said, that's the other option that a lot of people do. They work really hard and they accomplish nothing that matters. How many people are working really hard at their hobbies, working really hard at just trying to make more money? And he says, guys, I don't do either of those things. He says, here's what I do. If you're going to have an influence, if you're going to have a ministry in the church and a mission in the world, he says, here's what we need to do. And it may not be what you want to do, but it's what you need to do. He says this. 
Here's the, here's the secret. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control. Literally, I make it my slave. I make it serve me. I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself will be disqualified. There's two options that you have. And this is a great kind of as we finalize uh, this, this time together on our fifth anniversary, there's two options that you have, to be disciplined or to drift. And some of you, your whole life, you've been drifting and you have been floating. And you have not been disciplined. And I want to lovingly, as your pastor, call you on our fifth anniversary to recommit to discipline. Because you will not drift toward a deeper relationship with God. I have never in my life met somebody who said, I don't know how it happened. I just started memorizing scripture. I, 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 read the, I just drifted toward getting through the whole Bible in a year. I, I don't know. I just drifted toward understanding the word of God and having a deep prayer life. I, I pray 30 minutes a day and I don't know how it happened. I drifted. You will not drift toward the spiritual disciplines. You will drift toward your social media account. You will drift to consuming season after season after season of Netflix shows. You will drift towards sleeping in and wasting your time and having a bunch of goofy hobbies. But you won't be disciplined. Um, it, you, won't, you won't have the relationship with God you need unless you'll be disciplined. You won't drift toward community. I've never met someone like this. Have you? I just drifted. I drifted toward meaningful relationships. I drifted toward accountability. I drifted toward seeing myself as needy and needed. I drifted toward being in committed relationships with other people. No, but I'll tell you what you will drift to. You'll drift to being isolated. You'll drift to being selfish. You'll drift to seeking your own desires and spending a lot of time alone or finding your two or three people who affirm you in everything that you do. You'll drift toward that. You won't drift toward generosity. You'll drift toward saving too much money. You'll drift toward being stingy. You won't drift toward having generosity be a priority in your life. You won't drift toward having a mature view of your finances and your stewardship toward God. And finally, you won't drift toward mission. I have never met somebody who's having a dynamic ministry and mission and they said, I don't know how it happened. I just started reaching all my neighbors. I just started reaching all my classmates and all my coworkers. Nobody drifts toward it. It's a disciplined pursuit. And what I wanna call us to on our fifth anniversary is to ask this question. Where will you be in September of 2026? So it's been, I don't know, it's been five years today. And I think, at one level it goes, man, that was a long time. At another time, I look back and I go, that was the fastest five years of my life. So five years from now, whether you'll be at Two Cities Church or somewhere else, where will you be? Will you have drifted there? Or will you make some disciplined decisions today? Because I'll tell you what you will be for sure in five years. Older. <laughs> And the saddest people that I've ever met are people who get older and stay the same. You don't want to be just where you are in your walk with God, just where you are in your sin struggle. What I want us to recommit to is to being, having strong Christians who are disciplined in this church. This church will only be as strong as the individual Christians. The families in this church will only be as strong as the marriages. And this church will only be as strong as the committed families. Let's recommit today to being disciplined and to having a ministry in the church and a mission in the world. I can't tell you where, but each of us needs to lay down our rights and become like those we're trying to save. Let's pray.
Lord, I just, I lift up right now this moment of five years, this milestone, this mountaintop, this moment that you've given us. Lord, and I, and I feel a call to, to discipline. Lord, I pray for every person in this room, whether single or married or families, Lord, I pray for a, a renewed commitment to being disciplined, to saying, I want to have priorities. I want my life to count. I want to make progress. I don't want to just keep making excuses. Lord, I pray particularly, Lord, if you've put somebody on anyone's heart in here, that you, you said there's somebody who's far from God and close to them, Lord, what do we need to do, Lord? Grow us, grow our understanding of the gospel to where we're overwhelmed with how Jesus gave up his rights for us. That we're voluntarily, we're willingly, and strangely to the world, we're joyfully giving up our rights to reach more people. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.